here we are starting. Here we are starting. Uh, this is Totally Classic. I'm Brendan McNamara. This is Andy Swindler. Yeah, that's us. Uh, and we are going to try to do a Fast and Furious episode today. Uh, so let us know whether you like that, whether you like it. Um, it sounds, there's no way to make this sound not prurient, but if you like it hard and fast, is that like good? Does that feel good? Does that feel right uh, to you? Let us know. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. And and when I said my name, I almost said andyswindler.com. So I guess it's like. Wow. We are. Hey, listen, we are increasingly in a virtual world. Um, so it's very, I think it'd be perfectly normal. I mean, that's uh, sort of embracing the metaverse outside of the metaverse. Indeed. So uh, I know we do have the Fast and Furious episode today. Yes. Are we having guests from the movie or? Uh, no? Just Paul Walker uh, here in spirit. Uh, RIP. He's a dead one. Um, yeah. Okay. So originally in the in the outline uh, for uh, this second episode, this continuation of this conversation, I had us going through three spokes of the wheel of the Sylvia Duckworth one, especially. We had sort of started to go through like one or two um, in the last one. That's where I was like, oh, let's just do that. I think for a 35 to 45 minute episode, um, three spokes is way too much. Uh, so let's, do you mind pulling that up, the, the Duckworth and just kind of because I think I have, if we could just go through one, maybe even like a, what might be the most, if there's like one spoke of the wheel that's most central, like or most centrally accepted would be really good. Because I just have a bunch of, I just have a bunch of questions um, yeah, about, and, about the spokes generally. And just a little context in case somebody's yeah. dropping right into the middle of this episode. Yeah. Our last episode, we talked about intersectionality and one of the tools to at least understand what that even means uh, is there's several versions of this kind of model, uh, but the one I like is called the wheel of power and privilege. Excuse me, oh, wheel of power and privilege and burps uh, from Sylvia Duckworth. Yeah. And we'll, uh, if we haven't already, we'll have that in the Tumblr. And I'm going to, I don't know if we'll ever post videos, but I will share my screen just so people can see that. Uh, so what I'm looking at is a very colorful wheel. Looks like, uh, for those who may remember Trivial Pursuit, kind of reminds me a little of, of the little um, wedges. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's pieces got- Pieces of pie. Pieces of pie, yep. Um, and it's got three different layers coming in from the center is the big word power right in the middle. Uh, and then there's a layer you know, a, a, a ring uh, closer to power, and then there's a, a secondary ring, and then there's a thinner ring out on the edge, uh, along with the word marginalized. And every one of these wedges has a different category. Um, there are 12 wedges total, and the categories are skin color, formal education, ability, sexuality, neurodiversity, mental health, body size, housing, wealth, language, gender, and citizenship. Mm -hmm. and, uh, my interpretation of this model, which is fairly common, is that the closer you are, if you hold identities uh, that are closer to the center, you have more power in our society here in America. And if you hold identities that are more on the marginalized, uh, more on the margins or the outside of the ring, you have less, uh, less power, less proximity to power. 
Okay, interesting. Okay, that was one of my questions was, so we had originally, last week we talked about in, um, in this, interrogating this question, is intersectionality useful? Um, that uh, the, the coin, the term was coined in 1989 by Kimberly Crenshaw, who was actually sort of part of the same um, unit of lawyers and legal scholars who, uh, are, you know, sort of created uh, critical race theory as well. So this is all an intermingled um, concept. Um, and she had applied intersectionality or sort of coined the term to apply to discrimination lawsuits, wherein uh, black people were not being discriminated against and women were not being discriminated against generally. This is, there's multiple cases, but just generally that's sort of the, the premise, but where black women were being discriminated against. And presently she was saying under the law, there's really no way to prove, to even make this case because it's not a race discrimination case strictly. And it's not a uh, sex gender discrimination case uh, strictly. So it would be helpful for us in the legal realm to be able to examine identities that sort of intersect or overlap or coexist within particular individuals. And at some point, and she, Crenshaw too, it seems has pushed back on where her term has been kind of taken into this realm or whatever she said that around the women's march, she was like, this is not what I meant. Um, so I'm very curious about when it turned into the thing that you're saying, because even if we took what her premise was into this framework, my reading is like, if I knew, if I was familiar with her work would be like, oh, here's a, an attempt to sort of look at the world and predict, uh, what is it? Statistical likelihood of facing discrimination based on these categories. But at some point it came into like power or access to power. Do you like, do you know, in terms of any of the things that you've ever learned about it or people have like taught about it? Have, has anyone ever talked about that, that transition? Because I don't know, but if you see that as like, that's a big transition to kind of, that, that's a that's a huge, huge leap in usage from being sort of about when discrimination arrives, we should be able to examine multiple categories at once, as opposed to this is a constant, this is a, uh, whatever, a graph of the constant state of being of all, of all human beings. I'm not sure. Um, the, your last characterization might be a slight exaggeration, but, oh, okay. pro but probably only slight. <laughs> um, yeah. And some people I'm sure hold that. I I don't hold really that anything's that absolute. Uh, yeah. But, but I have, and, and you know, this, this is attached to a piece that I, I had written. Um, and I think we're going to get into that a little bit later around, you know, coming back, looping back around to like spoon theory. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of folks uh, kind of in this space hold those as, as synonymous that, you know, if you are more likely to be discriminated against, then you have less access to power. Oh, interesting. Okay, but that's a huge logical leap, right? In that, in terms of, that would only apply. Well, let's flip it, for example. Okay, so like, so it's in uh, black men, right, are more likely to be murderers than a bunch of other categories of intersectional identity, uh, just based on statistics, right? And that's one of the reasons uh, that you could put black and uh, uh, on the outside of, uh, let's say, a power wheel. But that doesn't mean that all black men are more murderous than everyone else. You know what I mean? So then it's a huge logic leap to then go, 
Okay, like, because because that circumstance arise is more likely to arise, therefore all who bear that identity are more that thing. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. That's like the the big to me. That's the big logical leap from this Crenshaw usage or to this one. And I'm just like, and it may be legit. Maybe people, but I I just I don't know. So I wanna, so as I hear that, so I want to make sure I understand that. So you're saying of murder of the people who commit murder, yeah. There, there is a statistical um, disproportionate representation. Disproportionate representation. Thank you of of black men. Yeah. And I agree that that does not therefore mean that any black man you encounter on the street is more likely to be a murderer than anybody else. Is that right? Well, no, that that that's literally what it would mean, but it wouldn't mean that every black man has that carries around in him a more murder like he is that every individual person is more statistically murderous you know what i mean so it would mean yes that you that you would every black man you encounter is more likely to be uh is more likely to be a murderer right if, if, if let's say this is again all theoretical like this is just whether again this is we we struggle with all these categorical uh statistics when you're like well incident based on incident of encounter or incident blah, 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 or incident of prosecution or all that sort of stuff right murder's just a nice clear one because there's usually a dead body involved but i'm just saying then this applies it beyond statistical likelihood meaning if you ran into a, a let's say a white citizen they would be more likely to uh have power to, to be in a position of power. Yes, that's true. That, but that doesn't mean that individual has more power and access to power. Just like that individual, yes, would be more, you could more accurately statistically predict as a guess that that person would, would be so, but you, you certainly can't make the logical leap to be like, you then are that like implicitly in and of yourself. It would actually have, it would just be a statistical analysis. Okay, I, I think I'm tracking that. Yeah, I, I don't. So I don't then, know, by being, being a white, the, yeah, I don't so know that the intention of this is is to say that all people in these categories are absolutely um, um, share these characteristics. Um, right, but it's, you, it's tricky. Yeah, it's tricky because it's like I don't know. Like, there's dissenting opinions. You know, I don't remember a few months ago, I saw like a whole yeah. panel of black people basically, you know, denying a lot of things that, you know, I've come to believe in terms of racism and whatnot. So, yeah, I, and I know, I know personally on a more personal basis, um, there's a black woman in, in my life that, I, you know, it's just fascinating because she didn't, she grew up, she's basically like a, a hippie, you know, she's like, <laughs> she's just like racism. What's that? You know? Um, yeah. Well, and it's not a concern statistically to like just based on polling, Gallup, Pew research, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like racism is not an especial concern of the of the black community, just based on polling of anyway, of black people who answer polls, you know, which you can hold that as loosely as you want. And, and that's interesting. So my reaction there is like kind of paternalistic, frankly. It's like, oh, well, gee, maybe they don't maybe they don't know how these systems are are, you know, stacked against them or something. So how accurate is a poll? And that may be that may be true. That may not be true. Um, yeah, yeah. No, all we're I mean, all we're both doing, obviously, and this is the thing we were just talking about before we recorded. We're all 
we're all making our best guesses, <laughs> right? And arranging this wheel too. You're just kind of like, ah, this is my best guess of how this thing could be playing out, you know? Um, but anyway, that's that was just one leap I wanted to be like, that's, that's a that's a big leap. And I, and again, I do have, uh, I'm a, I'm a independent, so I have conservative and liberal aspects and I'm open to different, all kinds of th thought, hence the liberal, I'm actually very liberal in that way. Um, in, in the, in the specifically what liberal means, but I am conservative too. And then I'm like, wait, which way are we going? <laughs> wait, if we yeah. switch, we're gonna, and if we're going to leap a chasm, um, especially as, as relates to identity, um, well, and, and yeah. Yeah, there, it is challenging. Like I, and I appreciate this because I'm sure I'm guilty of using absolutist language. Hopefully, not as much recently, but at various times. Yeah, it's convenient. I mean, it's it's very. I, I think that's a problem on kind of all sides of probably all arguments is the tendency to just want to oversimplify things. Yeah, too quickly. Like, yeah. Kind of find the convenient answer, and I know that's a lot of what you're about is like, no, let's really dig deeper and you know actually. Yeah do more research and find find as many data points as we possibly can to, to make the guesses more educated. Um, uh, so I'm curious, yeah, I, I think that's probably at the root of a lot of this. Am I right? Is this, it's more, it's the question of like, does this absolutely apply to everybody in these yeah. categories? If, yeah. if people would even agree that they're in these categories, which is kind of a side. Yeah, side that's a huge, that's another huge difficulty with, of course, that and and maybe we we can uh, jump into in a second the affinity groups uh, answer because um, we were uh, texting about what affinity groups are because I don't, uh, I'm vaguely familiar with it but I think I'm probably familiar with it through a, um, a negative lens and I, I think you're you're familiar with it through a positive lens so I'd like to more I'd like to know what the the positive uh, interpretation is but yeah I think that's the listen and, and and I say this out loud that I understand that anytime you make a graph of something in trying to explain the wheel of power privilege. And I think Sylvia Duckworth's drawing is actually super cool. I like how she did it. Uh, I like the vibe of it generally. I'm glad I'm, you used this one. Uh, and it's also less intimidating because it's handwritten vibe. Um, anytime you do that, you are cementing a concept. But this is a great thing about making graphs. You're like, okay, well, what happens when we cement this concept? And this is one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this topic, because we're already in the realm where this topic this theory, this sort of theory of the wheel of power and privilege, um, these application of these critical theories is already being applied. It's being applied in law, in public schools, in private schools. It's being taught as though not theory, but real. As far as as, as far as the information I've literally seen of like uh, people, of uh, administrators of schools talking about it and reading the language in, in bills and that sort of stuff. So it says these, and now in medical schools too, I sent you a recent thing. Um, but it's it's not saying these things are theoretical or something we're talking about or considering, but it says these things are the are bedrock foundational fact, and then the basis upon which adjudications are being made. And to me, that just feels again, it feels rushed to me. But I'm unfamiliar with the concept, and I'm just coming to learn about it in the past whatever six or seven years, you know. So anyway, I just I I want to just allow that there is obviously I'm I'm well aware. That there's a there's a spectrum of understanding anytime you put something in in graph form so that we can understand it <laughs> are you familiar with this quote from george box all models are wrong but some are useful yeah uh, yeah but and that's the question here that's the great thing about this because we're looking at this model and we're like okay well it's it certainly has rightness and wrongness to it um but i don't see the wrongness brendan yeah yeah uh and then the 
but then is it, is it useful is the question. And I think that's a good question. I mean, saying, is it right? You're like, well, parts of it might be is the only thing a reasonable person could say, right? Parts of it might be, and maybe it's a big part or a small part. I don't know. Um, but is it useful uh, is the question. And I, and I, as much as I don't, I, I don't buy this wheel because it hasn't been justified yet. And so I'm just, I'm still in the, I don't know phase. Um, the, I still have questions. Um, and then, but is it useful, at least to me already? And I know we still have about 20 minutes. Um, I mean, is intersectionality useful? Uh, yes. I mean, is this wheel of power and privilege useful? Uh, I'm probably a no at the moment, but I, I don't know. I'm more of an I don't know. But that's, I think that's a great quote because that really does cement it where you're just like, and this is maybe the thing too, you're talking about with absolutes where it's just like, can you say this is useful? Yes. Useful for what? I don't know. We'll answer that later. <laughs> you know? Uh, that's, yeah. But I like that breakdown. Yeah. Oh, I have a question too. I mean, answer. What is power in the middle? Like what, like, so like, what would that, this is my big question too. What is the framework used to make these assessments of like, who's closer to power or farther away from power? And then really what, like, what would exemplify power? Yeah, I, I think, you know, this, I, I would put power into the same kind of bifurcation as I do racism, right? Where there's interpersonal mm. power and then there's systemic power. Yeah. I I think most of most of these conversations uh lean more towards systemic power. Um mm. because okay. that's you know that that's what influences generation after generation after generation in terms of having access to opportunities and wealth, et cetera. Um and as I read this, that that in a lot of ways that feels like that makes sense to me. Yeah. In my bias that this is useful, you know, because if you're, you know, I don't know, a, a, a cisgendered man who's a citizen of the United States, who's who's white, uh, who or or lightly melanated, um, that's actually fascinating. I hadn't noticed that. So I, earlier, I noticed in the last episode, I noticed that. Sylvia chose skin color as a designation other than race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but then it's dark in the margins, different shades in the middle, and then white in the middle. Or white, white sorry, yeah. uh, white. Closest to power. Yeah, closest to power. Um, yeah. We should say like center ring, middle ring, outer ring. I'll do that. Yeah, you go. Oh, outer right. ring is dark, different shades is the middle ring, and then white is the mm -hmm. inner ring. Um, well, power yeah, to power, but, power to do what though is my question. You know what I mean? Like, let's look at like, let's look at male, right? Because that's a pretty good one. Like, w women didn't have. Oh wait, no, it's not in there. Ah, I didn't mean that. Uh, that was not a gotcha. Uh, sorry, wait, I thought wait, I, I was like, the, male and female is not in there. Uh, well, yeah, that's and that's. I think we'll have we'll have a whole episode about gender. But I yeah. Anyway, I got a little sidetracked, but it yep. but it just, it just left out of me because she chose white versus. Uh, let's say light, right? Like light would be a corollary to the rest of how she built that yeah. category. Um, so, yeah. no, that's intriguing. I don't mind the word white. You don't like it. Um, here on this show, we decided to say melanated, but in any yeah, case, yeah. I'm going to keep going, but let's say whatever we we, des we designate that, it's yeah. you know, white or lightly melanated, um, hetero, uh, robust mental health, you own property, you're rich, uh, you've got a lot of education, uh, college, post-secondary college, you're able-bodied like 
like that i you know maybe one way to think about this is like oh if we could somehow find statistics of the people who hold power systemically and to me that means they have the power to influence governments they have the power to influence corporations uh they have the power to influence major aspects of people's lives um you know are are most of the do most of those people kind of check off a lot of these boxes i think well and well and the question would it would have to be right it would have to be disproportionately right so like let's say like a and the gender right like a cisgender person even would be 99% 90 98% 99% something like that right of the of the US population so are they would they be represented in those offices of quote unquote power they would have to, it would have to be disproportionate right it would have to be beyond their their population distribution in and of itself, even to just start the conversation, even just to go, this is a, a problem, potential problem to look at, not even to identify the problem. So like rich people would have to be, dis which I think that's a good one, right? Rich people would have to be disproportionately represented in order for us to go, ooh, there might be a problem there. And I would say that's the easiest. Like I think people who are in positions of corporate and or political power do tend to be high income individuals. And there's a multitude for reasons for, of reasons for that. Um, yeah, it's funny. I was, I was, I, you know, my dad's been in the hospital this week and yeah. him and, and on the way out, I just, I mean, one, one of the, I think clear benefits for me of kind of swimming through these waters is, is it's just changing my awareness, you know, and I, I'm walking out of the hospital and I just see all these photos and it's, there's the three CEOs. They're all, they appear to be white, old, older white men, yeah. all the trustees. They're all white, but yeah, there's some women. And then there was, you know, just on and on through like all of the governing kind of bodies of this hospital, all displayed down the hall you walk to like enter the hospital. I found one person that didn't didn't look white to me. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like yeah. I and mean, why, hospital, well, what, hospital's a good example. That's a hell of a lot of power, right? To influence people's health and, and livelihood. Yeah. And then why do we, and then why do we cluster? Yeah. Or do we cluster? This is the interesting thing. So maybe that gets into affinity groups. So I was like, that's another big question about this. Like, A, what is power? And then how does a, like a straight person have more access to power and influence? It doesn't seem like that. But again, I, I lived in Los Angeles for 20 years in a, so, and then I, I also absorb media. That's like, I like, in which case I would say like gay men have more over influence in media, in art, fashion, media, everything that I spend my life around. And so I was like, that's simply just not the case at all. So I don't know what, so that's why I was like, what's power? Cause I was like, I, in terms of, in terms of social influence, it's not those uh, heterosexual uh, isn't. Uh, rich is English is cisgender. I don't think it's disproportionate. Citizen, it's probably white. No. Um, education, eh, eh, maybe, maybe. I don't know. That's that's middle. That's like a question mark. Um, and then able-bodied is so some disability. I actually think is probably the most influential, rather than able-bodied people. I don't think able-bodied are the most influential people at all. Um, 
in terms of those sorts of power things, you know what I mean? So that's, that's the answer. It, this, this varies. And you've talked about this too, that like, if you're in a particular space, that's, that takes this as kind of like a graph upon which the world is that this can actually get flipped. So then in, within certain groups, the dynamic is opposite. So it just, rec- you know, the, um, a problem can be that the, the power dynamic just gets rearranged and it's still in a power dynamic, you know? Yeah. And that I, part's interesting. Yeah, and that, you've mentioned a category I, I had left out earlier, um, media, right? Which is obviously an enormous source of power to influence people and change yeah. lives. And, I mean, and we, we've seen that's a lot of where we started, right? Talking about just the power of the media around the pandemic and to, yeah, uh, you know, all of it. Um, and, and so that's a big one. I know there's a lot of conflict. I can't speak to it sort of from my own lived experience, of course, but between particularly like gay white men and other other people in the lgbtq community because mm-hmm. um, gay the idea and i noticed that it's funny just looking at this wheel with this much intensity like i'm noticing things i didn't see before where gay men is is in the middle ring of the sexuality um category pulled mm-hmm. out and whereas then lesbian bi pan and asexual are in the margins um so this maybe this is a good segue into the affinity discussion because the other piece of it for me is um it's it's about it's also about like well the article that i wrote that attached to this was was kind of about how how more or less how easy is it to move through the world Mm -hmm. Uh, how you know which groups are you invited to play in uh which groups do you feel comfortable in um which groups do you feel actually included in which groups um you know so if that group has a lot of power are, are you even in the room? Or if you're in the room, do you actually have influence within that group and sort of access to power? Um, I think is one consideration. And so this idea of affinity groups is, you know, it's, it's I've seen it typically in a slightly different context, which, you know, for instance, I was taking this class called Embodied Social Justice, and that was really heavy on, on affinity groups. And, and you know, we use, we use that even in, you know, things I've built. Um, where the idea is that people with shared lived experiences uh, usually benefit from having a space to talk about that lived experience without other folks in the room who haven't had that lived experience. Because those folks, um, you know, even with the best intentions, uh, may, may ask questions that totally distract the other folks from just having like a deep discussion about what it is like to live with that, uh, live with that, you know, condition or identity. And in some cases, it could go much further and actually be quite harmful, um, you know, more than a distraction. So that's, that's the idea of affinity groups. Um, and I, how does, so how do you determine who has experienced those experiences? Cause you'd have, that's like, do you do a questionnaire or something? Like do people. It's that's something I, I've, I've never seen anybody try to um, really build formal structure around. I mean, it's, it's voluntary. You, you just generally trust if somebody says, Oh yes, I have this identity. Oh, and so I'm, it's, ide- but it's identity based. So it's not experience based. It's identity based. Uh, gosh. Yeah. Um, to me, choosing an identity or 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 defining yourself by an identity is about having the lived experience of, of that identity so i guess they're to me they're the same oh but you can't well but that's not true you know what i mean like that wouldn't be true 
on an, this is why maybe it's only works in a systemic basis. It doesn't work on an individual basis um, because we don't know the lived experience of, of said individuals. You know what I mean? Because there are people on every, there are black people, white people who have much more similar experiences than white people and other white people or black people and other black people, just as though as a, as a dividing line um, in terms of uh, discrimination, in terms of uh, whatever, you know, things we've talked about recently, like sort of police harassment, um, education difficulties, whatever, you know what I mean? There's no, you know what I'm saying? So then. Well, sort of, but I think what you're saying is uh, this example came up the other day, which I think is a pretty good way to illustrate it. Yeah, it's it's. I I might have a bias that like, uh, sort of a non non European non American non non white sounding name, uh, is going to be mispronounced very a lot in this country. Yeah, we're just kind of clueless. And then the reality though is that your name is Brendan, and people mess up your name all the time. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's like you're a white guy with a. I don't know, pretty straightforward name maybe brandon's more common i don't know yeah yeah it's like come on it's one you know so and yeah. you, know, you know so I, I feel like that's a pretty decent example and and i don't but you know i bet a lot of people would disagree with me a lot of other people would be like oh yeah sure. but when people mispronounce you know this uh sort of traditionally black name there's all this other stuff attached to it like and and i would say that's probably true and that's that's a whole rabbit hole we don't need to go down is that a decent example of what you're saying like like you could be in an affinity group of people with the lived experience of people who often mispronounce your name and it might and there might be every shade of every kind of person and every gender and every yeah that would be that would be everybody yeah and then and then of course i would challenge any relevance like i would i would dispute anybody saying that as that and, and I know you meant that as like a like an intentionally irrelevant one but I think there are people who would claim that was irrelevant like that could be a microaggression for people not knowing how to pronounce your name correct or whatever and those people would be and I'll say it absolutely would be wrong like you would like this is the same thing you when you have a reaction your reaction isn't necessarily it's valid in that you're experiencing it potentially maybe we don't even know that but it wouldn't be valid as as a as a response so yeah but I'm just like you can't you can't know someone's. Th- this would be racist, right? To assume I can look at a at a at a black man and I know what his life experience is like, uh, or someone can look at a white person and know what their experience that they have a an experiential affinity. They may have a racial affinity, and that that is to, in the same polls that say that black people aren't interested in race. Uh, black people are more than other like uh, racial groups, um, and I say black too because this that's different because that goes outside melanation because. There are black people who are uh, lighter lighter skin than me. Um, uh, they uh, black people do identify uh, closely with their racial group. That means that a black person would be more stati- not not all of them. That means like thirty percent of black people don't strongly identify as black people. But the sixty or seventy percent that means that if you encountered a black person, they would more it'd be more. If you just had to guess, you would you would make a better bet if you said, oh, they do identify uh, as black. So then that you could increase, if you put black people together with black people, you'd be making a slightly safer bet, but it's still a gamble. And then if you're putting white people with white people, you're making a huge gamble because white people generally don't. They don't pull as like my whiteness is is in any part like an irrelevant portion of my identity, which I also think is fascinating that that puts you closest closer to power. To abandon your sense of identity is actually, seems quite definitive, right? 
Like people don't, I don't know many people who ever even consider themselves cisgender is like a brand new thing. I don't know anybody who has cis pride. There might, there might be people or anybody who has like white pride or whatever, or like pride in speaking English. Pride in being rich, definitely owning property. Yes. Slim. Yes. Robust mental health. Yes. Neurotypical. No. Heterosexuality. No. Able-bodiedness. And eh, people don't, I mean, don't even think about it. Secondary education. That's mixed. You know what I mean? So anyway, I don't know. Just to introduce so, that interesting concept. Well, two things. So one is cisgender is a good example because I, I think that's, that's that's absolutely right. Like I didn't I didn't even know what that meant until a few years ago, and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'm that. So that's a big <laughs> difference, right, between us, right? That we constantly we constantly talk about. I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, cool. There's a category for what I am, and the value of that. I, or I, is there? Well, the, no, that's the question. People say there's a category for what I am. Well, that's, that's, and that's exactly what's, what is it, what they're attempting to point out. Yeah. Or we are attempting to point out is yeah, that yeah. the, the dominant, the, the, the default category, the dominant category. Yes. Um, there's a, it's problematic when that's, when that isn't labeled, when that doesn't have a category or a designation. I guess, but isn't that how you, that's how you do everything, right? Isn't that the bait that's baseline? That's how you like, when you do medical trials or whatever, you're like have a vaccinated person or a placebo, which means they haven't had anything added to them. So for a cisgender person, that would be 99% of the population. So that literally would be the word normal without, and some people, for the, for some people, I know the word normal carries this sort of like moral or judgmental weight. It is judgmental because it's literally the norm, right? Like heterosexuality is the, the statistical norm or like cisgender is the, like statistical to the point of absolute, like the absolute norm, you know what I mean? So then it would be weird to like, in some ways, I mean, I get it, I'm not opposed to it. Like I think having a category can be helpful, but it also is, it's strange too. Cause then as soon as you categorize things, things that weren't previously categorized as supposed that that's the the standard simply because cisgender is a great example because it is statistically all in in terms of like within the margin of error for most like obs scientific observations where you're like that's that would that would represent all of humanity where you're like there's enough variance of like let's say you varied four to six percent of like well we could be wrong then it, it could it, it the right. the, com, the, the confidence interval means everybody like literally everyone because there's such a, a strong majority and and I think yeah, that yeah. it is that probably maybe that is the best example on here because it it points out like the danger uh, or the tendency to not not know what the norm is or not know what the dominant culture really is and then the question I think that's being asked and you know yes of course this does very veer into a lot of certainty uh, about the harm that's being done um, and yeah. it, but yeah. let's we hold it as a question it's like oh is there is there harm being done to the margin to the people on the margins mm -hmm. when the people in that majority or that almost all scientific all that you're talking about yeah like are so oblivious to that the margins even exist that we don't design programs we don't include them in discussions we don't you know yeah um, and, which, and is which, is which is which is which is practical, but it is, it it uh, if pursued with an absolutism, like a true absolutism, it could be yeah, absolutely harmful. That's an interesting one too, though, because that's an invented category, totally. Like you can't validate, except for intersex, you can't validate. And actually, intersex shouldn't even be on there. 
Intersex is not a gender category. Um, that's a sexual category. So that's interesting. I hadn't noticed that before. Um, well, like I said, there's a whole probably right. episode about gender and sex. I, I want to loop yeah. back to one thing. Okay, though, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is that with these affinity groups, it's not like uh, the Harry Potter sorting hat, right? There's, there's nobody's telling anybody which group to go in. It's, it's more, here's a group when we're yeah. inviting this kind of identity. If you share that identity, you're welcome here. Gotcha. So and, white and people can, white people can go to black spaces and black people can go into white spaces. If they share the identity. I mean, if a white person goes to a black space, they would, in that space, they'd have to say I'm black. Yeah. Which is allowed, right? Because I mean, if you can say, if you're a biological woman and you can go into a male space, it's, it has to, I, like, it has to be, which listen, I'm, I'm not saying that's like evil or anything. I'm not saying it's evil. I'm saying that that would just be the premise. But I, that, that if you, I'm, guessing, your, I'm guessing it might not go well. Yeah. <laughs> but well, that would be, and that's probably, that would be problematic just logically. You know what I mean? Because if race is a social construct and sex is at least bound, bound to, an actual construct gender is bound to sex like whatever throughout human history until now um so you know what i mean i mean i think i think that's the scary thing about an affinity group because to me it just sounds like segregation or whatever and then or or, or essentially like like chosen and tribalism you know but again i'm more of a, i'm focused more on ideology than than identity and that's just my bailiwick and i'd be like but i wouldn't want people who all have the same ideology to go into a space and start having conversations well, maybe longer than 20 minutes <laughs> so we're a little i think we're not aligned of the value oh. of an affinity group but yeah, here's yeah. the thing i will say because i i think they are valuable and and having you know designed a network of, of that had several of them running for a lot of the yeah I've, I've personally interviewed people who were in them and yeah. heard stories about how valuable it was and, and how they really needed a, a little place to go to to kind of share some things with people that they feel they feel they felt you know relatively safe with that they or that they could you know build trust with more quickly and i've you know here's a good example like uh i heard you know talking to folks who attended a bipoc group that's uh, black indigenous and people of color uh particularly a black woman was saying her voice often got lost in that group because mm. black women have a very specific and this actually goes right back to the crenshaw thing right because yeah yeah black women and so the, this person was saying she felt her voice and the voice of black women got lost in that group and often in BIPOC groups. Cause that's, I mean, it's a massive category. Really. That's a huge, it's way, I mean, it's the problem. I, BIPOC is such a problematic term. Same as LGBTQIA. That's ludicrous. I mean, it's getting, it's ludicrous. It's beyond, so, I mean, it's, it's beyond, you know, it's too big. It's too big of a category. I mean, so, it's so, the same so. as white, you know, white is too big of a category statistically. Hispanic Ooh. is already difficult. It's once your category grows to that size, you're like, Ugh. so where I do think we agree, though, or yeah, yeah. is, you know, while I see that some value in affinity groups now. Yeah, um, actually, one other thing I'll mention is that in this embodied social justice program, they did a really cool job of saying, hey, here's here's some categories we we think could exist here, some identities yeah. and some affinity groups. And one of the sessions was like, and please go into the chat and like list like, what do you want? Like what, who, who, and it was, yeah. holy crap, it was like the longest list. And then they went back behind the scenes and said, okay, we're going to like kind of find, oh, there, you know, if there were like, I don't know, five of these or 10 of these, then that's going to become, that's going to become one of the groups. And then every time, you know, bless their soul, <laughs> the Zoom tech <laughs> behind the scene was, 
creating all of those breakout rooms and labeling them all. And so then, wow. but then it's a lot of work. But then it's a lot of work. And then they turned on the option in Zoom where you can, you can choose where you want to go. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, and then they would say, they would emphasize it. So, you know, um, and please, please, you know, go to the group where you, where you really have that identity. And that, that, that would be the part where, you know, I can imagine you've sort of floating all these groups and being like, you know, challenging that. Um, but the, here's the thing I want to say. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a space beyond all of that, which yeah. is probably more where you're thinking, which is, I don't, this, this can't be the final destination because it is segregated. Absolutely. It's segregated by design. And I, yeah, I don't yeah. value in that because we, we kind of, I don't know, it's almost like I'm imagining like at a, at a, at a backyard barbecue, you know, or a party, you know, we naturally segregate ourselves. The kids are over here playing, kind of playing together and, you know. And yeah. Oh, and that makes me so uncomfortable. There you go. I had <laughs> a feeling a, it would. I, I, I can see you like playing with yeah. the kids, you know, in the sandbox. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, so maybe that's just a clue, you know, generally here. And and I don't yeah, think it's yeah. always healthy, you know, and I'm always, we're both like hardcore observers of humanity, right? So it's yeah, like, I'm yeah. always like, gee, why are the men all talking together? I'm like, oh, well, they're similar height, they're uh, vocal, like the quality of their uh, voices um, is in a similar sort of um, harmonic range. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, okay, that, that's that's sort of logical to me, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just easier like, to like kind of yeah. talk to people. Oh, there's another me. I can go talk to another me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we both are kind of terrified of how that is being basically weaponized <laughs> like stratify our entire civilization in all these little groups that never talk to each other yeah i think that's the thing that's scary to this is less scary to me because i just think any any experimentation like this is interesting and experimenting with segregation again it's like all right well it's interesting um uh especially voluntary i would say as opposed to involuntary segregation is a huge difference that you've made uh clear um but you had written a thing where you said, uh, what is it? One thing that rings in my ears is a foundational notion not to pick up the tool of the oppressor in the name of justice. And I was, uh, I, that's right. I just quoted you. <laughs> oh. I do want to be careful though. I, yeah. uh, I was, I learned that from Rev Angel Kyoto Williams, who was one of the teachers of that class. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. You credited them uh, in the piece too. If, but, whenever but you share. Enough, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, so then I was like, that's the scary thing. Cause then you're using you're picking up the tool of the oppressor, which is say, racial segregation, um, in order in order to achieve justice. You know what I mean? And so that's the I think that's the part that's very scary to people. I, I addressed this on my Instagram a little while ago, um, where someone had been like, "Why are white people so afraid of critical race theory?" And I was like, "Well, because it's super racist from all the understanding of how we've all learned what racism is our whole lives." So then, likewise, an affinity group, I think scares the heck out of people i'm i'm a i'm a playful art person so i'm like all right let's do a weird thing we can do a thing where we all just get in a group and headbutt each other and i'd be like i would go into that room i like headbutting that sounds fun i really do it's it's actually pretty it's a satisfying uh, form of combat um but anyway so like i'm open to that but i think that's really scares a ton of people they like the idea of like if they walked into a place and they're like okay black people are gonna go over there white people are gonna be over there i mean that's like for every kid who learned about the the bus protest or whatever, they'd be like, "No," you know what I mean? They'd be like, "This is this is literally the tool of, of the oppressor." And I think that that's I I just bring that up that it was I think people I want people to hear that because I think that is a genuine fear I've seen expressed and it's a it's a rational one, but at the same time I hope they can hear the the voluntary nature and the experimental nature of the way that you have described it. 
because yeah. I, I think th there's a problem there because it is the tool of the oppressor. But if you're using it carefully, then why can't we use those tools? You know, I, I think the voluntary is the key piece there. It's an invitation. Um, but you're, you know, I'm with you. Like the, the, I, it's worth continuing to interrogate when that goes from invitation to dictation. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, you have a, a powerful meeting. I still have more. I think this is super interesting and it's so complex that we could do this again or we could just be done and figure this out at another time. But I love you and I appreciate your sharing. I'm sure it will weave through uh, all the things. I love you yeah. too. And I'll Look, we're an affinity. We're an affinity group. Because I, 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 I have an affinity for you personally. I, I have an affinity for you. <laughs>